Thank you, Cody, for doing the introduction with the verse right there. Uh, so we just read through Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. And so who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And who was Solomon? Solomon was King David's son who became a king himself, who became the wisest man who ever lived. And who was the book of Proverbs written to? Solomon's son. It says in Proverbs 1.8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father. So this is a common passage to most of us probably in here. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not into thy own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's probably the one that we've all committed or most of us have committed to memory from the time we were just little boys and girls. And so even though it's a familiar passage to us, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are successful in applying this text to our lives. So our minds, the reason for this is because our minds are corrupted. We forget what we ought to know or what we have once known. Uh, We are quick to go astray from the truths that we once um, were anchored to if we are not reminded of them over and over again. It reminds me of the of the hymn that we that would be great to sing today, uh, maybe later today. I don't know if we'll have opportunity, but come now, fount, you know, prone to wander, prone. Um, I remember how it goes: prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, take my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for Thy courts above. That's the desire, or that's the tendency of our natural nature, of our sinful nature, that we will never, you know, throw off of us this side of heaven. It is, to, it is to depart, it is to go astray from the truth that God has already given us in his word and truth that we may have even committed to memory from the time we were little boys and girls. So uh, a, good, uh, a good reminder to us, or I guess a reason why it'd be good to, to another reason it'd be good to reinforce what we already know is consistent with what Simon Peter said to the Christians in his day in 2 Peter 1.12. It says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and establish in the present truth. So just like I hope to today, Peter was reminding the Christians of his day, again, of things that they already know, but are so important to our walk with the Lord. So if, it, if anything, if, or at the bare minimum, I hope that it's just helpful to reinforce the building block or the, the foundation of your faith, to reinforce those things Uh, that are good for your soul. I'm going to go ahead and, I was hoping to have already done this real quick before before now, but I'm going to write a couple things on this board real quick. Um, So bear with me, but I think it will be helpful. Sorry, my handwriting is atrocious on this board, but <laughs> commission and omission. And they should be spelled correctly. Proverbs 3, 5, trust the Lord with your heart. Mm-hmm. 
acknowledge God in all your ways. Two words there. Turn from evil. All right. So these are sins of commission, or these are not sins. These are acts of commission, things that we're called to do. These are uh, action words, verbs you would say. Trust the Lord with all your heart in Proverbs 3.5. That's the first command. Proverbs 3.6, acknowledge God with all your heart. That's the next command. Proverbs 3.7, fear God and turn from evil. So God's instructing us in action. These are things that we are called to do and supposed to be doing in our lives. Now, under omission, I'm going to list the things that we are not supposed to do. Still under Proverbs 3.5. Wow, sometimes I wonder if only I can read my handwriting. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. (laughs) Be not wise in your own eyes. (laughs) All right, so we have acts of commission and things of omission. We are not supposed to do these things. Do not be wise in your own, or do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now, in conjunction with these two, with these two things, God gives us His promise. Okay, in Proverbs three eight, He says. That says, make straight thy paths. And then he says, then he says, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So again, if we will obey the commands that God gives us and not do the things he tells us not to do, we can count on the promises that God has given us. He will make straighter paths and provide healing and refreshment to our bones. That's a, that's a promise that we can count on. Those are, that's the outcome that we can expect. We don't know the specific details. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But we know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that God's telling us, these things will take place in your life. I will provide for you in these specific ways. I will make straight your paths. You're looking for direction. You're looking for wisdom, for guidance, for counsel. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge God in all of your ways. Do not lean on your own understanding. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. These are the things that God has given us to instruct us uh, as we seek for guidance in our lives. All right, so verse 5. It's the beginning of our passage. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. So what does, I'm going to start with the second half of that verse, leaning on your own understanding. What does that mean? Define leaning on your own understanding. Essentially, it's placing your trust in anything other than God. It is, it can be anything. It can be your wealth. It can be your intelligence. It can be your good looks. It could be your social status. It can be absolutely anything at all. You fill in blank. But 
you're leaning on your own understanding to the degree that you trust in that and not in God. Who was the first person in all of human history to lean on their own understanding? You don't have to answer. I'll answer in just a second. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking Eve. I thought, that Eve. Yeah? She ate. She ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she wasn't supposed to. And Adam didn't. Until Eve gave it to her. Eve is totally responsible. But that's not really true if we look at this a little bit deeper. Yes, Eve was definitely responsible for her sin. However, before Eve was even formed, God commissioned Adam with the responsibility to not eat the tree of, good, of the good and evil. Before Eve even, even existed, God commissioned Adam to not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he, God created Eve, gave her to Adam, and Adam became her head. It's the it's order that God has created in the, in the scriptures. So Adam was therefore responsible as Eve's head to guide her, protect her, wash her in the word, ensure that she had the knowledge and instruction uh, that God had given to live in accordance with his ways. So when Eve, when Eve ate of the, of the apple, whatever it was, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yes, that was her responsibility. Yes, that was her sin. But that was indicative of some other failure on Adam's part either to protect her or to uh, teach her God's ways or whatever it was, Adam failed first. And when, when God knew of their sin, who did he turn to to, to uh, you know, make them accountable for what took place? He didn't go to Eve first. He went to Adam first. And why did he go to Adam first? Because Adam was her head. Adam was responsible for his stewardship, Eve. And so since Eve had been committed to him as a helpmate, Adam had to, get, had to give an account of how he took care of that stewardship. And so that's why I believe God went to Adam first and not Eve. So why can't we lean on our own understanding? What could possibly go wrong? Let's read from Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. If you want to flip there, I'll, I'll wait just a moment. It's, it's two verses. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So our own understanding is divorced from the understanding of God. It's not consistent with, with his character. It's consistent with our sinful nature. So our own understanding is what is the, that deprived part of our flesh. Um, that essentially the lust of your flesh, there's so many different names for it, our sinful nature. It's not consistent with the holiness of God. And so it's going to lead us astray. It will pervert the judgment of God. It will take the knowledge, the, the truth that God gives us in, a, in his word. And without the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit, we won't understand it, much less be able to apply it. So our understanding falls short of the standard that God has given us, the standard that we are called to as Christians to walk holy and just before a just and holy God. So that's why we cannot lean on our own understanding. Though we are creatures in Christ, our old nature is still alive with us, talking to us, giving us feelings, tempting us, and so forth. So even though we are redeemed, our own understanding is still corrupted. So thank God we are no longer corrupted to that own understanding, no longer corrupted to that you know, sin nature. 
Amen? So what exactly does the Bible say comes out of our own understanding? We can read that in 1 John 2.16. Essentially, it gives us a summation, a summary of everything that comes out of our own understanding. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's, what produce, that's what's produced out of our own understanding. That's the fruit that you get to enjoy when you lean on your own understanding. And what do those things bring? Go back to our analogy with Adam and Eve. Just like Adam and Eve leaned on their own understanding, what did it bring upon all of, human, all of mankind? It brought death. And so when you lean on your own understanding, no matter in what area you lean on your own understanding, it will bring the same. Ultimately, death, if you do that in, instead of leaning on the Lord, but it will bring failure. It will bring problems. It will bring broken relationships. It will bring whatever it is that you are leaning on your own understanding to accomplish. It will ultimately bring a bad end. And that's, that's a problem with sin. It doesn't seem like it's going to. It makes so much sense to us. And we forget God's ways are higher than our ways. And that he has called us not to lean on our own understanding, which we're so inclined to do. It's so easy to do it. But don't. Your sinful nature is your own understanding, and therefore all the sins of life come out of it. <clears throat> Leaning on your own understanding will always lead to problems wherever it is used, and in the most severe sense, ultimately death. So just like, just like I said, just like the curse of death fell upon all of mankind from the sin of Adam, so anything else you lean on your own understanding, it will result in failure. All right, so let's move to the first half of Proverbs 3, 5. We just went over and lean not into their own understanding, but now we're going to go over trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is the opposite. <clears throat> so God has two commands in that, in that first line of Scripture. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. These are opposites. Trust in God. Do not lean on your own understanding. It's juxtaposing the two. It's a call to action. Trust. It, it means to, to believe in, to depend on, or rely on. So it's a, it's a verb. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's active. It's living and breathing. It's what you do. It's not just what you know. It's what you do. So this text does not speak in measure. It's not saying part of your heart, a little bit of your life. It's saying all of it. Yeah, God, God wants all of it. And you could say very selfish in that way. But praise God that he wants all of us and not just some of us. Um, so what does trusting God with our whole heart look like? What does it mean? It means walking by faith and not by sight. It means walking in obedience to his word and trusting him for the outcome. Stonewall Jackson once said, or is quoted as having said, uh, the duty is ours, but the consequences are God's. And that's, that's, that's a good maxim to live by. It's not our responsibility to worry about the outcome of obedience to God. God's taking care of that. He loves you. He'll take care of you. So this is the way, so just like, you know, following God's word, walking by faith, not by sight. And this is the kind of example that we see in Abraham. This is the, the kind of example we see displayed in his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. Why was, God, why was Abraham willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar? Because God commanded him to. Did God promise that he would make Abraham the father of many nations through Isaac? Yes. 
Did Abraham understand how God was going to accomplish this if he was told to sacrifice his son? No. But did he do it anyway? Or was he, was he willing to do it anyway? Yes, he was. Because he was trusting in the Lord and not leaning on his own understanding. It didn't make any sense. Lord, I've been waiting so long for my son Isaac, and you blessed me with him. Praise God for that. But now you want me to sacrifice him. How does this accomplish what you promised me? How, 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 what kind of good is this going to bring? What will really come of this? Are you sure you meant that? Let's reevaluate. Let's talk about this for a while. Let me meditate on it. Let's pray about this a little longer. But no, God's word was very clear. And Abraham, not understanding necessarily what God was doing, walked by faith anyway. So Abraham had so much faith that he believed that if Isaac died, God could raise him back from the dead. It's not as if bringing people back from the dead at that time was a common occurrence. It's not something that he'd even ever seen before. So he wasn't trusting in the medical professionals of his day or technology of his time thinking, yeah, well, you know, my sister died and she was brought back to life. And, you know, I, you know this, is, this is pretty common. This is an unusual thing. I can definitely, you know, conceive of this happening. No, not, not then. So when you're killed, you die. It's over. And so he's thinking, I don't understand how this is supposed to work, but this is what God is calling me to do. So what wasn't possible in his day was very well known by Abraham, but he was trusting God to do the impossible. So do we trust God to do the impossible things in our lives? Relationships that seem irreparable, bills that seem we can no longer make enough money to pay, physical or mental illnesses that afflict our bodies. Where do we turn for direction? Where do we find guidance for life's dilemmas and the questions that we have? The answer is found in verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The Hebrew word for acknowledge is yada. I don't know if you have any Hebrew scholars in here, but I'm sure I botched that one. So yada. (laughs) And here I believe it means to know, literally to know God. That's what that means, to know God. So when you're talking about acknowledging God, it means to know God. So how can we know God unless we talk to him? unless we pray to him, unless we study his word, unless we seek him out daily. It requires our daily diligence, our, our active pursuit of God, our creator, to know God as he is. It's a lifelong process, but we have to be active in pursuing it. Will you please turn to me, or turn with me to Jeremiah 29. I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about what's going on before we go through some of the te- some of the verses in this chapter. But the book of Jeremiah, uh, we read about the captivity of Judah and the desolation of Jerusalem. God is using the prophet Jeremiah during this time to speak to, the, to God's people in exile. So the people of Judah had been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had taken them from Jerusalem to Babylon. And there had been a dispute between um, Hananiah, a false prophet, and Jeremiah, the true prophet. And the dispute was essentially about really how long this captivity was going to last in Babylon. Hananiah lied and told the people of God that God would break the yoke of Babylon after two full years of captivity. And Jeremiah said, you're a liar. It's actually going to be 70 years. 
And Jeremiah went beyond that, not just to leave it there, but to say, in fact, because you have sought to lead the people of God astray, you're going to die this year. And seven months later, he died. So we have Hananiah, who essentially is responding to the tickling ears of the people. No one wants to go to Babylon. No one wants to stay there. But Jeremiah is saying, you are going to stay there. You're going to be there for 70 years. So you might as well um, get married, have some children, get established, so you don't kind of disappear from the face of the earth. You need to sustain yourselves. And then after 70 years, God will bring you back. I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 29, 8 through 9. God is, is exhorting, he's, he's warning uh, the, the, the children of Judah, saying, you know, not to do these things. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. God is warning them not to be led astray by the, by the desires that he didn't give them or, be, or to build false expectations around timing that wasn't God's or even to listen to the, and be deceived by the false information that was going all around them. So you have Hananiah giving them false information, things that they would love to be true. God's saying, don't be deceived by that. Don't be deceived by the false prophets, by the deceivers. I'm telling you what's going to happen. In 70 years, you can come back. These people probably had a time frame that was different than God's. You know, who wants to spend a generation in a place they don't want to live? Yeah. A lot of us, you know, it's a long life to live for 70 years. So God is warning us against these three things. He's, this is our application. This is what we can pull from this text in Jeremiah. Don't be led astray by the following. Desires that God didn't give us. Building false expectations around our timing instead of God's timing and being deceived by the false information that we hear all around us. Sounds like, sounds pretty modern, right? I mean, I, I encounter that pretty much every day. You know, there's, always, there's lies all around us about anything, you name it. And there's desires in our heart that aren't from God necessarily because we have a sinful flesh and it has a mind of its own, it feels, and wants to, wants to, to uh, live out its life through you, and you have to bring that in subjection through the Holy Spirit. So you have these desires that you have to fight against and overcome. And these expectations of, God, I, you, know, you may pursue or want a good thing, but you want it in your own timing. God's saying, I'm not going to give it to you in this timing. I have a better timing for you. I'm going to give it to you when I'm ready to give it to you. But we're led astray by our own timing. Then we get frustrated and stressed, and we take a good thing, and we make it a bad thing because we just won't be calm. We just won't let God work. We are such control people. I am. <laughs> Trust me. Um, and then he's saying, don't be deceived by the false information that's around you. Uh, the world doesn't understand the things of God. Like we already established, God's thoughts are higher than our own. It's so easy to be led astray by things that kind of make sense to us, but are not what God says. Especially sins that we don't, that we can't see the consequence of later because we look at it now and we think really this is a big deal really i mean that was written a long time ago 
Maybe it, it doesn't. Maybe in my case, it's not really a big deal. But we don't have the mind of God. We can't. We can't see the whole picture, like Christopher was saying last week. You know, we we're in a. We're in this. Where are we? In a blimp? Parade. We're in a parade, and there's a lot of other parade boats in front of us, right? And we can't see them. Like we can't see beyond the one that's right in front of us. So here we are trying to make a decision based on an outcome God hasn't revealed, but he has told you not to do it. So that's walking by faith and not by sight. It's saying this blimp boat in front of me, you know, seems fine. I think it's, you know, it's going steady pace. You know, it's, we're kind of trucking along. We're doing good. But God's saying, don't, don't just be fixed on exactly what's in front of you. God will oftentimes reveal his, his will, you know, one step at a time, enlighten to your path, one step at a time, not miles and miles ahead. So we need to be faithful, uh, both to be content with what God's revealed to us, not want more than what he has already given. Um, and if we'll do that, we will likely be a lot less frustrated in life. So uh, as many of you know, or some of you were there, um, some of us participated in a, in a walk for life or actually a stand for life and a walk for life, um, get together in front of Planned Parenthood on Saturday, just yesterday morning from about 10 to noon. And this, I'd never done anything like that before. And it was very encouraging in one sense in that I was able to be actively involved in the things of Christ. I was able to be actively involved, his hands, his feet, um, in the things of God. But it was also really heartbreaking because, you know, behind the doors that you look at and peer on from the outside, there's, there's um, great sin. There's murder. There's, there's death going on in there that is grievous to God and should be grievous to us. And I couldn't help but think after reading Jeremiah, after having done that, that a lot of these women, or, and a lot of the men even, the parents of these children that are being murdered, probably went through one, if not all three of these steps to ultimately come to their decision. They had put very possibly false expectations around their own timing and not God's. They're leading themselves astray by ungodly desires to terminate the life of the child for whatever personal reasons they may have had. And three, they were being deceived by the false information they were being fed about what, how abortion isn't murder and so on. So false information desires of their heart, expectations, none of them in the right place. And so it led to a horrific conclusion. So it's really important that we understand how these things are affecting our lives, how, how we are led astray, so that we can avoid the same outcomes in our own lives. We can look at those and be instructed. We can see how these things happen and have compassion. As we, when we understand how sin works, Instead of a condemning spirit, we have a compassionate one because we see ourselves as just as vulnerable. We see ourselves as just as probable, you know, to commit the same things. But by the grace of God, so go we. It's, it, should, it should help us to have compassion on the lost and on those who are saved because uh, according, according to statistics, most people who have abortions are Christians anyway. And so they're just using the wrong grid they're, they're coming to the wrong conclusion about what God wants for their life because they're misunderstanding some of these basic principles. These three areas are, can have a critical influence on, on the outcomes of our decisions. So again, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Know him, seek him, meditate on him and his promises, and he will direct your paths. 
Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So we're going to verse 7 now. Oh, sorry. Let's go back to Proverbs. So verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. So this verse is talking about exactly the opposite of the verse before it. So be not wise in your own eyes is the same as to lean on your own understanding. So those, those things are, are the same, but it's the opposite of, of trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. So if we fear God, we should be departing from evil. In other words, just like we judge a tree by its fruit, just like we judge the sincerity of, of one's walk with the Lord by their, by their pursuit and, and seeking out to be obedient to his word, by the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is in them, we look at the fruit and judge the root, so to speak. So we should also judge whether or not we fear God by whether or not we are doing our best to steer clear of the sin that he has shown us and working to overcome sin in our lives. It's kind of a barometer. It's help us to gauge, you know, are we walking in the fear and admonition of the Lord? I mean, we can understand it academically and say, absolutely, yeah, I believe that. But to say you're walking consistent with that, the fear of God should result in these things. You are seeking to avoid sin. There's no willful, intentional sin in your life. You're not trying to hide that or, or, or walk in that darkness. Instead, you are seeking to overcome that by the grace of God. That's because you fear God. You reverence God. God is saying, submit yourself to me. And because you fear him, you do. But if you're walking and, and, and you're not fearing him, then you won't. And it doesn't mean your whole life won't be committed to not fearing him, but there's areas of our lives that we may not be committing to God and not walking in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Some change is easy. We wear, you know, what we wear from day to day, pretty easy to change, right? Our hairstyle, some of us do it without even thinking. Um, you know, whether I wear glasses, you know, that's a pretty quick change for me. That's pretty simple. Um, our shoes, uh, you know, where we go to buy our groceries, um, changing the dial on the radio station. I mean, there's some changes that are so, that's so simple, just we don't even think about it. Change is a, a regular part of our lives. However, other change is very difficult. Changing our attitudes or the words we speak to one another or our habits or whatever other strong tendencies we may have. Some change is easy. Other change is very, very hard, depending on what it is. Jeremiah says in 13, chapter 13, verse 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. So just like an, a leopard couldn't change his spots, an Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin. Someone who's accustomed to doing something for so long, it's that difficult to then just to do the right thing. It's a process. It takes time. Some change is just a very difficult process to go through. So, I mean, we can always have the hope, though, that 
it's the truth of God's word that brings about the change. It's not our willpower. It's not trying as hard as we can. It's God's truth. The scripture says the, the truth will set you free. The truth will give you strength. The truth will build up the Holy Spirit within you and allow you to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to overcome. So scripture makes it clear that habits can be hard to break, but we know that submitting ourselves to the truth of God's word will give us the power to be set free. This verse is a command to submit ourselves to, to, to submit ourselves in perfect subjection to the will of God. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So submit yourselves to the will of God and turn away from your wicked ways. For isn't that our natural inclination? It's to follow the wicked imaginations of our heart. Romans 1 has a lot to say about what our sin leads to when we follow the wicked desires of our heart. I'm going to go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 32. Okay. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves." We change, or who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creator, or the creature rather, more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural desire or the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy and murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So then in the most severe sense, this is the choice between blessing and cursing, life and death, heaven and hell. And for those of us who have accepted Christ, because we know we cannot lose our salvation, it is applicable to our own lives as well. Why? Because among these things are listed things like covetousness, envy, pride. And those are very real temptations that we face now. May have been temptations we faced this morning on our way to church. Lord, has, you know, Satan has um, you know, very crafty ways of, of deceiving us and coming at just the right time. And children, did you know that among all these terrible sins that I listed, that there's one in there that's you know, particularly applicable to, uh, 
you and the life, you know, in, in your time of life when you're particularly under the head of your parents. Yeah, disobedience to them. That's a huge no-no. <laughs> Very bad. <laughs> it's listed among a bunch of naughty things. And so it's not a light thing to walk in disobedience to your parents. It's not something that, that will not have, you know, negative consequences in your life. And who knows what they're going to be? Who, who knows if you continue to walk in disobedience to your parents that when you want to obey them, you'll be able to obey them as, as easy as you're able to disobey them. We're creatures of habit, and we have to establish good habits so we can more easily follow them. So if you're consistent in your disobedience, don't underestimate the challenge it may be to change your course. So start now while you're young. Obey your parents. When we do these things, we are disobeying God when we're not dis- when we're not obeying our parents. We're disobeying God and not submitting to the will God has for our lives. Moving on to the last verse in verse 8. Uh, going back to Proverbs. Now, if you follow all the things that we just talked about, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to their own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and apart from evil. And this is another promise. He gave two promises and this is the second. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Um, the English Standard Version says it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It might be a little easier just to kind of get, get the picture, picture using that version. But I'm going to dissect that passage using the King James Version. And it says here, the Hebrew word for navel, when it says, it shall be health to thy navel, in the KJV, it's essentially referring, referring to the umbilical cord of an infant. So it is that part of God's design that feeds the life and nourishment that is necessary from, from the mother to the baby in her womb. So it's essential for your health. So it will be health to your navel. So understand the, the importance of the navel in, your, in, in the holistic view of, of who you are. It's critical to the overall health of, of your being. And then it says, and marrow to thy bones. Marrow, on the other hand, is that essential tissue that gives life to the bones. It produces red blood cells that carry oxygen to other tissues. Cells also, it also produces cells to help prevent bleeding and to aid in the clotting of blood, and even cells that help fight infections from bacteria in our bodies. So the marrow in our bones is is essential to the health of our being as well. And so what God is saying is, he's giving us a picture here of of, of vital processes in our body that are essential to life. It says, uh, it shall be health. Again, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel in marrow to thy bones. It's, it helps, it gives us a picture. These, these things are the navel from the time that we, that, that before we were born, you, you eliminate that, you eliminate life. You eliminate the marrow in our bones, you eliminate life. These things are essential to life. They're critical. You can't separate life from these things. And God's comparing his word to that. You it's saying, if without my word, there's death. It is so, my word is so important. 
It's so important that you're not wise in your own eyes and that you don't lean on your understanding, that you do trust in God, that it's the difference between life and death. So, again, the navel is central to the health of the child in the mother's womb, and the marrow in our bones is critical to sustaining life by giving the rest of our body needed oxygen and helping to protect us from infections and so forth. So fearing the Lord and turning from evil is essential to our spiritual well-being as well, and possibly even our physical well-being, depending on the kind of sins that we may be in. So I would like to close with a short story, just real quick. Everyone likes stories, I'm told. (laughs) I like them too. And, uh, I, you know, sometimes when you think about a story, you're like, I have no idea, you know, what kind of story I should share. I'm only 26. I don't have a lot of experience in life. You know, so many other people have good stories. But um, this one, I, I actually was just sharing with a friend of mine kind of what I was doing, what I was preparing. And he exhorted me in this way, and it really struck my heart. And uh, it's found in Proverbs Psalm 37, uh, 4 through 5. And just to give you a little bit of a backstory, they were, he was at a, a dinner with some friends, and it, uh, he's a little bit of an older gentleman, and, and uh, you know, it was brought to light among this group of guys you know, that he wasn't married yet. And they kind of gave him a hard time about it, kind of joked around about it, and he was like, yeah, you know, God's timing. And uh, someone after that that group that they, you know, after their dinner and everything, kind of went up to him in person. And he said, you know, you know, in Psalm 37, 4 through 5, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I thought at the moment, you know, how we have quick instant reflexes in our mind. We're like, yeah, I know that. And uh, then he said what I didn't think about. And I've never thought of this verse in this way. He said, so often instead we choose to delight ourselves in the, de- in the desires of our heart and not in the Lord. The verse says, delight yourself in the, in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But we want to delight ourselves in the desires of our heart and not in the Lord. Wow. That really hit me hard. Because <laughs> that's so true about me. <laughs> um, I definitely love my desires. They're good. And uh, I like them. Um, but that's not what God calls me to love. He says, delight yourself in me and who I am because I am your all in all. And then I will give you the desires of your heart. Why am I giving you the desires of your heart? Because your desires are fixed in me and I'm going to give you more of me. So it makes total sense as we delight in God. But when we delight in the desires of our heart, it leads to discontentment, envy, pride, spiritual leanness, and so much more. It's really important that we don't get that backwards. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, I thank you for this church body, and I thank you for the privilege of of being a small part of encouraging your flock. I pray for our hearts this morning. I pray that we would glorify you with the desires of those hearts. That we would seek your face and trust everything else to be provided us. And not turn that around and and get caught up in the things that we love and distracted from our God who's made us and has a double claim on our lives as both our maker and redeemer. I pray for 
Those who have not yet uh, <clears throat> uh, driven here today, if they're still traveling, I pray for your blessing on their travel. And uh, I pray that for the rest of this time together as we, as we gather in fellowship and, and hear another message, Father, I just I pray that you would prick our hearts where we need to be pricked and uh, comfort us where we need to be comfort and prod us where we need to be prodded. And then all of these things we, we get to enjoy in the beautiful fellowship of, of brothers and sisters who love and fear you. And uh, somehow, Lord, that, that, that uh, makes a lot, a lot of these things so much more bearable and enjoyable. I say these things, God, in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.